Good morning. Good to see all of you present on this beautiful Lord's Day morning. I trust that you have come to this particular place to first and foremost honor and glorify our great God and to edify and encourage your brother and sister in Jesus Christ. What a great day it is for us to do those things, to think about God and to encourage one another in our walk with him. Appreciate Brother Stephen and especially that last song to think about the things that we know. And that's kind of the the point of today's lessons, to think about things that we know, truths and promises that we can have confidence and assurance in. And certainly we know that Jesus died. We know that Jesus arose from the dead. And we know that Jesus is coming back. And for that, we ought to be thankful to our great God. In the first session this morning, in the nine o'clock session, we began thinking about a phrase that is found several times in our New Testaments. It is the phrase that God is faithful. We began that session this morning by, first of all, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, where the Apostle Paul reminds us that God is faithful in providing every spiritual blessing that we need in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then we thought, secondly, about Paul's statement in the second book, in the second letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, that God is faithful in keeping His Word, including all the many promises that are contained in the Word of God. And that would be a long series of lessons in and of itself just to think about the promises that God has made to us that were recorded in His Word. In this session this morning, we want to continue in that thought of God is faithful as we consider three more New Testament texts that contain this biblical phrase and see what else there is to say See what else the Bible says to us about our faithful God and what we can learn about Him. So my Bible is open this morning. Our first scripture will be from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you want to open your text there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And let's read verses 1 through 5. 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning at verse 1. As Paul is closing down this second letter to the church at Thessalonica, he says, Finally, brethren... Pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ." As Paul and Silas or Silvanus and Timothy were traveling around the world preaching the gospel, they were requesting Paul on their behalf and for himself as well at the end of this letter. They were requesting that their brothers and sisters here in Thessalonica would pray for them, that they would pray as they went out into the world to preach the gospel, that they would pray for the rapid spread of the gospel, that everywhere they sowed the seed, that it would hopefully end up in honest and good hearts, that it would take root in people's lives, that it would change their lives. They were also, as we just read here, asking that these brethren would pray for the glorification of the Word of God, that God would be glorified in all of that, not them as mere messengers and servants. But they were also praying or asking these brethren to pray that God would protect them. That God would protect them as they went out into a cold, cruel world, as they were surrounded by evil men, as he mentions here in this text. As is said elsewhere in the Bible, that they were going out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And you can think through all of the places that the Apostle Paul went 
Some of those, Silas went with him. Some of those, Timothy went with him. And just about every place in which Paul went, there was always opposition, wasn't there? Sometimes it was opposition from his own brethren, the Jews, that is. And sometimes it was opposition from those who were in the world. But there was always someone who was trying to tear down what he was trying to build. The point is that not all, although, uh, not all people that they encountered would have faith in Jesus Christ, as he states in the text we just read. But in contrast to that, in stark contrast to that, here's the Apostle Paul as he's going out, doing the work that Christ has given him to do. He is very confident that even though everybody that hears the message does, will not respond in faith to Jesus Christ, that God, the Lord, is faithful. Not only did Paul know that God would be faithful in helping the gospel to grow through his efforts in delivering him and his fellow workers from wicked people, he also knew as he was asking for prayers on his behalf and behalf of those who were working with him, he also knew that God would deliver the Thessalonian brethren from Satan as well. As he says there at verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, into the steadfastness of Christ. He is asking and knowing because the Lord is faithful, verse 3, that he, the Lord, will strengthen and protect you, the saints in Thessalonica, from the evil one. I want us to go back a little bit, just do a little bit of a history lesson with the brethren here in Thessalonica. When Paul first brought the gospel to Thessalonica, we have that recorded for us back in the book of Acts. So to turn back there, first of all, to Acts chapter 17, to remember where these brethren started in their walk with Christ, as Paul was here in the city of Thessalonica, the gospel, we might say, kind of got off to a rough start. And these brethren believed what they heard, but they had to believe that in affliction and in suffering. So Uh, Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 5, Luke says to us here, But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the authorities, before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. They they again had to uh, deal with opposition to the gospel. Those who decided that they were believing and they were going to put their life in the hands of Jesus Christ, those who were going to commit themselves to Jesus Christ and walk with him, they were doing that in the midst of this kind of environment of great opposition, of great suffering, of great persecution. We not only read about that as we just have here in the book of Acts, but even as Paul begins the first letter to this church at Thessalonica, you might remember what he said there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, he was commending them for this. And he says at verse 6, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Again, he is is thankful for who they are. As he begins back in verse 2, he is giving thanks to God for them, for their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Even in the midst of their beginning of the gospel working in them, 
kind of got off to a rough start again. And he is using them, he says, as an example to other believers as he travels around the world preaching the gospel. Over in chapter 2, he again reminds them of how the gospel began in them. Chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs in you its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. He's reminding them that you're not the only ones around the world who are suffering for the cause of Christ. That even as your Jewish brethren in Judea suffered, even as those who were supposed to be Jesus' own people turned on him and they killed him, they crucified him on a cross. So you continue to endure. You endured the same kind of suffering at the hands of your own countrymen. And as of Paul's writing this second letter, they continued to face Satan's evil forces head on. As he begins the second letter in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, notice there beginning at verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, Paul writes, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith. And I think he could have added love. In the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. It's not just that they had faced obstacles, that they had faced challenges, that they had suffered as they became Christians, as they first obeyed and received the gospel. But he says that's even continuing now, even as he's writing this second letter sometime later, that they are continuing to live in that kind of environment. And yet in spite of all that, in spite of such relentless persecution and temptation, here is the Apostle Paul in the last chapter of this second book, and he is speaking confidently concerning them, concerning their faith, concerning their love, concerning their steadfastness, concerning their hope, all because I'm suggesting to you this morning, verse 3 of chapter 3, the Lord is faithful. Because of who God is, they have been able to endure all of this hardship for the sake of Jesus Christ. Well, we may think that's them. That doesn't really apply to me. We're living in a different time. We're living in a different nation. We're living in a different culture than these people found themselves in. And to a degree, that's right. But we all know that our world in general, and especially our nation, it seems to be, is, is becoming more hostile to Christ, isn't it? It is becoming more hostile to Christianity. We are beginning to suffer maybe for the cause of Christ. And that may continue to ratchet up. I don't know exactly where that is going. But even just us as Christians, we are daily, if we're trying to be faithful to God as he is faithful to us, we are daily doing battle with Satan, aren't we? And we are daily standing up to his evil influences in our environment, in our neighborhood. It may be a little bit more subtle than perhaps these Christians were dealing with, and yet Satan is alive and active nonetheless. And as we do so, as we listen to the gospel, as we continue to try to live a faithful life to God, we're going to face suffering. We're going to face hardship. There's going to be persecution in our lives. And as we do that, let's remember what the Apostle Paul said here, that the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen us and he will deliver us 
from the evil one, our enemy himself, Satan. That ought to bring us great comfort. That in the midst of these kinds of situations and these kinds of times, that our great God remains faithful. We can count on him to always be there to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. The second passage I want us to think about this morning in this lesson, as we continue to think on this great theme of God is faithful, is to go to the first epistle, the first letter of the Apostle John. And let's read here 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. 1 John chapter 1 at verse 5. John writes here that this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I know I, I think I've mentioned this before, maybe in some other lessons that we've at least referenced the first epistle of John, but we don't have to wonder why John wrote these words. We don't have to wonder what, what's his mission, what's his purpose in writing these words. He gives it to us very plainly in the verse preceding what, where we began in verse 4. He says, these things we write so that our joy may be made full or complete. That's his purpose for writing this entire book, to complete, to fill out and fill up our joy in Jesus Christ. And how can we be joyful people? What is the basis for our joy in Jesus Christ? Well, it's not in ourselves. The basis for our joy in Jesus Christ is found in the character of God himself. As John begins there at verse 5, that God is light. We, we, we know passages like from the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? That we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Philippians chapter 2, that we are to be lights in the world and other places, other references in the New Testament. But we understand that we are not perfect light, that sometimes we stray. Sometimes we don't show Christ living in us as we should. But God, that's not true of him. He is light. He is the very essence of light. He is the very definition of light. He doesn't even have a hint of darkness, a hint of sin within himself. And so since God is light, then John tells us in the next few verses, as we've already read, that we as his children, as followers of his son, we must be walking in the light in order for us to have fellowship with him and with one another. However, and if you said in Kirk's class, especially last week, we went through a little bit of this, even though we didn't get into 1 John chapter 1 uh, like he wanted to. John, I think, is making it very clear here that as we walk in the light, we're still going to sin. There's still going to be times when we disappoint God, when we transgress God's word. And when those times happen, when we do sin, we must be people, as John gives us the instruction here, especially at verse 9, we must be people as we recognize those sins in our life, that we are willing to confess those sins to him. We're willing to turn away from those sins. We are wanting to come back to him. We are wanting that relationship to be repaired or that relationship to be restored to its fullest joy. And when we do that, notice the great news about all of that. 
We, we might read 1 John chapter 1 and think it's kind of a depressing passage because here is God is light and we look at, read that and we understand that and we believe that and then we look at ourselves and say, I'm not that. <laughs> I'm not light in perfection. But here is the good news about that. John says again at verse 9, if we confess our sins that he is faithful and he is righteous, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to forgive us, to take that sin away. To It's no longer uh, a charge to us, if you will. But more than that, he says that he is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know what you think about those two phrases about forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. To me, I think, as at least I understand that phrase about cleansing us from all unrighteousness, and it's going to the heart of the matter that it's not just God taking away our sin, but it's God cleansing us, it's God putting a new heart in us, it's God taking that unrighteousness out of us and putting righteousness in, and all of that being done through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so when we are genuine, when we are honest and confessing our sins to our great God, to our faithful God, we don't have to wonder whether he's going to fully forgive me. We don't have to wonder whether God is going to completely cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If I come with that attitude of heart and I'm serious about that, John plainly states that he will do that. Why? Because he is faithful. That is a great promise that he has given to us, his children. And then the third and final text that we want to consider this morning is a text that our brother Don read at the beginning of our worship assembly. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. We've read it, but let's read it again. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the young preacher, says, It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Certainly every statement of Scripture is true. If we believe that it really is from the, the mind and the mouth of God, we believe it's true. If we believe it's from God, it is trustworthy, it's reliable. We can count on every statement of Scripture, but it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul begins here in verse 11, beginning in this text by emphasizing that point. It is a trustworthy statement. As you read through First and Second Timothy, and maybe even in Titus, if I remember correctly, Paul uses that phrase several times. It is a trustworthy statement. He's not saying about everything else that he wrote. This is all that is untrustworthy. You can't count on it. But he is trying to emphasize the point. This really is a faithful or a trustworthy statement. That if we have died with Christ, as he goes on to say here at verse 11, if we have died with Christ in the waters of baptism, that we will live with him. That we will live with him even now in this life in newness of life, as Paul writes about in Romans chapter 6. But we can also experience forever. Hmm. This thing has come off. We can experience eternal life forever. He goes on to say there at verse 12 that if we endure with him, as we just talked about with the Thessalonian brethren, if we endure every trial, if we endure every temptation that Satan puts in our way, that we will reign victorious with him. I don't know that we can 
comprehend all of what that's going to be like. At least I can't. But it certainly is a beautiful picture. It is a beautiful promise that Paul is making here. If we deny him, though, on the negative side, if we deny that we know Jesus Christ, as our brother Lance has already spoken to us about at the table this morning, thinking about Judas, thinking about Peter, if we deny him before men now, he's going to deny us before his father on that occasion. But notice here he says, as we come to the end of this text in verse 13, that if we are faithless toward him, that he is not faithless toward us. No, the Apostle Paul says that he remains faithful. In the things we've already talked about today, he remains faithful to who he is. To the core of his nature and his character, he remains faithful to his word. He remains faithful to his promises because this is who God is. God is faithful. Why don't you go back to the book of Romans for just a moment. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And beginning at verse 1, in the, in the context of who we are and what we have all done, what we are all guilty of sin, notice some words of the Apostle Paul here at verse 1. He says, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then, if some did not believe, their unbelief did not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. The Apostle Paul, I think, in, in this context, as he is addressing, as he's already talked about Gentiles, I believe, or his world in chapter 1, and then begins to think about Jews and who is a real Jew in chapter 2. You know, maybe his point is here, even if every Jew chose to forsake God, even if every Jew chose that they were not going to believe God, that they were not going to be faithful to God, that would not change in one bit who God is. That God would still be a faithful God because this is who He is and this is who He will always be. This is the very essence, this is the very character of our great God. And so let us be people who are ever thankful, as the Apostle Paul seemed to be, that God is faithful. We began our, these two lessons this morning in the 9 o'clock hour thinking about our relationships here in this world. And how I think we are just, most of us, looking for this characteristic of faithfulness in our marriages and in our families and in the place that we work and in our schools and just in our life in general. And how rarely we find people that we can really trust, people that we can rely upon, people that we can count upon. But isn't it great that we can always find in our great God that he is faithful. What a comforting message I believe Scripture contains that God is faithful. The question I want to leave with you this morning as we close this lesson is, what about you? What about you? Are you faithful? We're not going to be perfect people as God is perfect. We are going to have issues in our life. There are going to be times when we sin. There are going to be times when we transgress God's word, times when we disappoint him and disappoint others and disappoint ourselves. But are we striving to be faithful people? 
Are we striving to be people whom God can count upon and our brothers and sisters can count upon that we're going in the right direction? We are walking in the light as he himself is light. Our song of invitation and encouragement that Stephen has chosen is Lord, take control. Is that your sentiment? Is that your desire this morning for the Lord to truly take control of your life and lead you in the way that leads to eternal life. If you're not a Christian, you don't find yourself in that category, but you can because God is faithful. God has made so many promises to those of us who are in Christ, but they're only available in Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. Would you come before the assembly this morning if you're not a Christian, realizing that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, his salvation, come and confess your faith that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Son of God, and repent of your sins, and then be buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. As a child of God, maybe, again, you're beginning to slip away from him. Maybe you're not proving yourself to be a faithful servant of his, and sin has come into your life, and you have wandered away from God. Once you come back to him this morning, remembering who he is, that he is a faithful God, if you're just struggling and you need the prayers and the encouragement and the help of your brethren here in some aspect of your life, whatever you need might be, as you look at your life honestly and you look at who you are and who God is and you need to do something about that, won't you respond? Think about those things and respond if you need to as we stand and as we sing.